This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Welcome to the fourth and final part of the mailbag. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And I am joined by the owner, the operator, the lead reporter, the whole shebang over at JetsInsider.com. And of course, above all of that, a very big deal, Mr. Chris Nimbley. So let's jump right back into the mailbag with House of Florham Park, who asks... Why wasn't Mac fired sooner if Chris Johnson missed the thousands of beat and blogger writings? Does he not have his own internal performance tracking that clearly indicates Mac has done a very poor job? I talked about this before. I think this is the scariest part of this, in addition to the fact that Gase has so much power now, is the fact that Christopher Johnson clearly didn't know how to evaluate this and sort of fell into this. I suspect a lot of it had to do with Gase convincing Christopher Johnson, and that's why the decision was made when it was. That's the concerning part. I don't necessarily care as much about the timing and optics. I do care about why the timing and optics are what they are, which is that Christopher Johnson seems to be, at the very least, confused and a little in over his head. If you listen to what Christopher Johnson said in the conference call, then it's because he didn't look into this enough beforehand. Mm-hmm. And that's that that's that would be the most alarming uh-huh. thing to me, if that was actually true, mm-hmm. which is which is always hilarious to me. You come out to have a conference call to try to explain this, and you make it worse than what you said is worse than the what at least I've been told is the actual reason. Yes, Gase, from what I've been told, yes, Gase definitely did play. He obviously initiated this. He was doing all this, and there was persuading, but again, what I've been told is it's basically it was just Christopher Johnson realized that it was an untenable situation and he started to watch it more. And again, like I said, Bowles has had his complaints that he finally voiced towards the end and Christopher Johnson kind of brushed it off and then Gase comes around with the same complaints and then he's watching and he's seeing and that how he kind of alienated a lot of people in the building. And he was like, oh, I guess Todd was right. And then you roll with it. And that, this happens sometimes. This happened to all of us where one person tells you something and you just kind of brush it off. But then the second person comes around and says, and now you're like, oh, maybe there is something to this. But it, again, if it, it's what Christopher Johnson would lead us to believe, that's the most troubling thing. That would be the most concerned that he just didn't look into it until after he decided to keep him. And then he looked into it and was like, oh, I need to make a move. Well, you should have looked into this beforehand. You were the owner all last season. It didn't occur to you to actually sit down and take a look. You're going to fire the coach. You saw that. You you didn't want to look into doing this with the GM, the same GM that took Christian Hackenberg in the second round and he never even played a single down. The same GM that took – back-to-back receivers and early middle of the draft and then they were gone off the roster a year later i mean to sit there and think that he just didn't look into it until the last couple of months it seems implausible and absolutely absurd but if you know that they feel like fans should have like a class action malpractice lawsuit on their hand if that's the case Yeah, Chris, that's pretty much what I was getting at. The scary part of this, in addition to Gase getting all that power, is that Christopher Johnson comes out of this looking like a bumbling fool who really is in way over his head. And if this continues, that's the issue. Like I said before, it's one thing if he just took a hard look at this and came to this conclusion. It would still be bad that he didn't realize he had to do this before, but at least it's him correcting his mistakes. If this was something that he was manipulated into, then we've got a real problem 
on our hands. Next question comes in from Michael Christopher. He says, have you ever seen a team in a four-year period never prioritize the offensive line like the Jets during the draft? In Max tenure, only Chuma Adoga was picked before the fourth round. If Douglas comes in and he has strong ties to the Ravens and Eagles, do you think they prioritize corner and offensive line if he takes the job? The second part of that, I'll answer first. I have no idea what Douglas would want to do as far as priorities. We can guess based on the organizations he was in, but we don't know what his personal preferences were. As far as the first part of the question, yes, I have seen another team that had such a low pension for drafting offensive linemen on day one and two of the draft, and that team was the Adam Gase Miami Dolphins. So enjoy that, Jets fans. <laughs> to, to be fair to the Miami Dolphins in that scenario, before Gates got there, it was they were doing. They had invested the most money of anybody on offensive line. They were drafting uh, early offensive linemen. Uh, uh, it seemed every year, and they just weren't working out. But yeah, they they did that there. Gates definitely uh, shied away from it there. Um, most teams in the NFL now know that you have to build an, uh, a solid offensive line. We talk about this all the time. Win up with your guys up front, defensive line and offensive line. You build your defense and offense that way, inside out. And yes, obviously, quarterback is number one, but getting a strong offensive line improves your quarterback, improves your running back, it improves your receivers. It does everything for you. I, as we say, there's no way to really know. Joe Douglas hasn't been in GM before, but I would imagine coming from Philadelphia with the way that they address their offensive line, the focus that they have there, that that would be a big thing there. And pretty much, uh, uh, you know, offensive line, especially the tackle positions and cornerback are the are positions of value. And McCagden kind of shied away from those uh, on the offensive line. He didn't shy away from addressing cornerback. Um, this year he did, but he hasn't in the past. He, you know, he gave – uh, Tremaine Johnson, that signing, he his first year, he gave Revis all that money. He signed Buster Screen, Cromartie, he did all that too. So he's invested in it, but those are important positions. If you're hiring a GM and they're not going to invest in those positions, then that's the wrong guy for the job. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. 
Michael Christopher has another question. He says, on NFL Network, Charlie Casserly said five guys turned him down when he was in charge of the GM search because it was considered the worst job in the NFL. Now he says it would have been the best GM job if it were open this year. In your eyes, how underqualified was Mike McCagnin? So here's the deal. I think a big part of the reason why people were hesitant to take on this job was because they didn't have faith in the fact that they would have full control. Because, remember, you're talking about a structure where the coach and the general manager both reported to the owner. Plus, as we know, Max signed off on the hiring of Todd Bowles, but he didn't have a whole lot to do with that search. It was really more of an ownership and Charlie Casserly, Ron Wolf type of decision. So when you look at it from that perspective, it's pretty easy to understand why guys that were highly regarded front office guys like Ballard did not want to come in for interviews because they felt like, what's the point? I think you could see some of that in terms of guys that aren't tied to Gase. That's where this becomes thorny because anybody that takes this job is going to have to be somebody that's a quote-unquote Gase guy because otherwise if they have options why would they want to come in here you saw this before with John Idzik that's why the Jets had so much trouble getting an A-list guy for that role and they settled for John Idzik because anybody that came in knew that they were inheriting Rex Ryan as far as how underqualified Mike McCagnin is Listen, as the old saying goes, you roll the dice and you take your chances, right? He was a guy who had been the director of college scouting with the Houston Texans. The track record of drafts there was solid, maybe not remarkable. And you had Charlie Casserly really recommending this guy, and even Ron Wolf apparently was impressed by him. So that's just one of those things where sometimes you hire a guy who's unproven in a certain role, and he just doesn't work out. I think that's what it was, and I think that... The reason why the more highly regarded guys didn't want to take the job is because of what we just said. That reporting structure was not something that they felt was going to be conducive to their long-term success. Yeah, that, and then also keep in mind that they had just fired the GM after two years Mm -hmm. when he was clearly initiating a rebuild Mm-hmm. And they fired him before he had a chance to see that through. Mm-hmm. Uh, that and I said this at the time, and some people, you know, took flack at me uh, with me for saying it at the time. But when you do that to a GM, how is that not going to scare off other GMs? Of course it is. Of, of course it is. There's, that is unstable. That is way more unstable than what you have now. And I, of course, I'm not saying this is stable. But that is even more unstable. Coming fresh off firing a GM after only two years, and oh yeah, he was trying to basically tank and start this rebuild, and you never even gave him the chance to do it. And we can quibble over the results that he had, and obviously he had that horrific draft as well. So I get it, and I'm not looking to relive that and relive that argument again. But that had to play a huge role in it then now on the other side now as Casterly uh, said uh, how it would have been uh, how it's a more attractive job obviously it would have been a more attractive job if he did it when they both fired him especially with the number three overall draft pick having all the cap space that would have been very attractive to a GM but any GM is going to want to come in here now and say hey I think they got a quarterback yep at least, at least I have that 
I don't have to worry about finding a quarterback, and now I can just build around this quarterback. And so how attractive this job is going to be, like everything in life, beauty's in the eye of the beholder. It's going to depend on each person, but it's largely going to come down to how that person feels about Adam Gase. If that person doesn't mm-hmm. trust Adam Gase, doesn't want anything to do with Adam Gase, doesn't want to work with Adam Gase, then this job isn't going to be attractive. If this person knows Adam Gase, believes in him, trusts him, is comfortable with him, then this job is going to be very attractive. It's it's really that simple. And they can sit there and they could say, okay, I'll wait until next off season and wait to see what opens up there. But with the jobs that people are projecting to possibly be open, Arizona, okay, so then you're going to be tied to, tip, to Cliff Kingsbury. And then uh, you're, and that would mean that this season likely didn't go all that well either. So, then you have to worry about that. How would that GM feel? How do they feel about Kyler Murray? Are they somebody who wouldn't have drafted Kyler Murray? Is somebody that short at quarterback? Because then they're not going to want that job. Other jobs, Carolina might open. But we've seen a Cam with his injury history, the way that team has kind of been built around Cam and this and that, and they moved a bunch of players. So, yeah, Jobs will open, but there's no guarantee that the, those jobs that open are going to be much more stable either. Typically, the reason why those jobs are available is because of instability. So it'll, it is going to come down to how the prospective candidates feel about Adam Gates. That will determine how attractive this job is to each candidate. To add to what you said, Chris, and to bolster Charlie Casserly's point, I think if McCagnan had been fired at the end of the season with Bowles, the Jets' job probably would have been the number one most attractive job to any prospective general manager if they were given full authority and told that the coach was going to report to them because, as you said, you've already got that 21-year-old quarterback that's the biggest piece, plus you would have had the number three overall draft pick and $100 million to spend. Now it's all going to come down to do I think I can work with Adam Gase? Because regardless of Darnold or anything else, if you feel like you can't work with Adam Gase, this is not the job that you want to take right now. Absolutely. A hundred percent. It's it's really that simple. They're going to have concerns about Chris Johnson as well. But again, you paid attention to these NFL owners around the league. They're going to have concerns about almost every owner. And the, the owners that they, they wouldn't have concerns about aren't going to have those job openings anytime soon. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Next question comes in from Dan Doyle. He says, waffles or pancakes, sausage or bacon? I have to go with all of the above, man. I love all of that stuff. How are you going to make me choose? I will say I cook all my own stuff, so I have a special waffle and pancake recipe, and I love them both. I bought my waffle iron for like $8 because my buddy used to work at Best Buy, so he got me a sweet deal. Got me like an insane discount on it. It was one of those things where it had been returned because it was a holiday present and then with his employee discount and all that stuff. So I use it all the time. I love to make my own pancakes from scratch. Like I said, I have a special recipe. 
And with sausage and bacon, you can't go wrong with either one. I actually love turkey bacon and chicken sausage. Chicken sausage is one of my go-to meals at night when I don't feel like cooking anything super fancy because it's easy to prepare and it's delicious. So, like I said, I can't really pick, man. All four are great. I can pick, but I'm I'm with you here on this. Give them all to me. I'll take them all. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but my answer for the for the pancakes or waffles if i have to pick i'm choosing french toast i mean i'm sorry that wasn't an option but i'm choosing french toast but then pancakes and then waffles uh bacon and sausage it depends if i'm having breakfast give me the bacon i'll i prefer bacon if i'm eating something at dinner give me the sausage uh i think sausage is one of the more underrated uh foods out there honestly i get these spicy sausages and i just eat them for dinner all the time but it also it depends too because I have this debate about people with, uh, you know, a bacon, egg, and cheese, or a Taylor ham, egg, and cheese. And my answer is always, it depends on where I'm going. Because there's places that don't cook the bacon enough. Mm-hmm. And if that, and if I go to, or I know I'm going to that place, then give me the Taylor ham. I also know another place that cooks the bacon really well, but the Taylor ham is too thick. Mm-hmm. It's way too thick when you bite into it. So I'm going bacon, egg, and cheese at that place. So it depends on where I'm going. But if I'm cooking it myself, Give me the bacon uh, over sausage in the morning and then a, a nice a spicy sausage at night for dinner. And, yeah, I'm good with that. You ever go to one of those Brazilian radizios where they just keep bringing you? Yes. Okay, so you know what I'm talking about. Yes. The sausages at those are outrageously awesome. Yes, absolutely. And, yeah, it's super underrated food. And people like to just uh, think of it as you can only have it with breakfast or you have to have, like, a sausage peppers and onions and just you grow up some sausage real quick and i will attack that and i will love every second of it and that will be a nice hearty meal for me i will be happy and it's the perfect game day tailgate food too absolutely hey guys this is greg peterson host of the podcast hooping with hoops despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hoopin' with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Next question comes in from Eddie Reckis, live from Florida. He says, at this point... Don't really care about Mac. He should have been gone, and he was probably going to be gone at the end of the year anyway. It's just the way that this organization does things that bothers me. I'm in Florida. I'm right near the Dolphins, and Gase has a horrible reputation here. How could the Jets, with the New York media, pick a coach who's so bad publicly, a coach whose top players were run out of town, whose offense was ranked 31st out of 32 teams despite the fact that he's supposed to be an offensive wizard, got credit for one good year with Cutler, but couldn't do anything with him in Miami, got credit for Peyton Manning in Denver when Peyton was calling his own plays, who didn't even like Darnold last year in the draft, and more importantly, is there a way that we can get new owners in here? Well, to answer that last question, no. That one is completely up to the Johnson family. So unless they decide to sell the team, you're not getting new owners. As far as the rest of this stuff, I was unaware that Gase didn't like Darnold last year. 
Chris, I don't know if you know anything about this, but I'd never seen that. With Cutler, I've always felt that the positives and negatives in terms of Gase's influence were a little overstated. Cutler was basically retired when he came up off the couch in Miami, so I can't really blame Gase for that. At the same time, his performance in Chicago was not really any better than what you were used to seeing him do typically in Chicago, so I don't know why he got so much credit for that either. As far as the rest of it, look, you're echoing a lot of the concerns that I had about Adam Gase before this hire, and it's why I joked that on a list of eight people that were candidates for this job, Gase would have been ranked ninth on my list. So really, this is nothing new. You're preaching to the choir here. But yeah, these are all legitimate concerns I wish the Jets would have taken more seriously before hiring Adam Gase. That said, if they win, no one's going to care about any of this. So we'll see what happens. I haven't heard anything there about uh, Gase not liking Darnold. Uh, I know there was uh, reports about how uh, you know they weren't huge fans of Rosen at that point, but I didn't hear anything about them not liking Darnold. And also, obviously, Darnold was gone well before they picked, so uh, I don't I don't know that we can actually put any merit to that. But I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt here. He's in Florida, so we, he's. I'm assuming he's consumed enough of the Florida reports down there that maybe he knows something that we don't there. Um, you know, it's not like I was sitting here last uh, during that year of the draft really paying attention to how the, the Adam Gase and the Dolphins felt about Sam Darnold. So, obviously, uh, you know, that it, it has to be alarming. Like, this is a team that's in their division, and they, I guess that they just sat here and they looked at the roster. They've looked at the fact that Ryan Tannehill was hurt all the time and that they blamed all of the problems that Gase had there on that. And it, 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 to be fair, that first year with Ryan Tannehill, they made the playoffs and then Tannehill got hurt at the end of the season and then Matt Moore had to come in and then they got, they lose the playoff game. So I guess people are sitting here thinking that if Tannehill could have just stayed healthy and then that they didn't have any problems going forward. Cause then of course the next last season and you mentioned the, the part about Cutler. I, I always kind of laughed and rolled my eyes at the, about the career year with Cutler. Yeah. he cut down on the turnovers, but his other numbers dropped. His, he wasn't putting up as much yards. He wasn't getting as much touchdowns. So you did some good cutting down the turnovers, but you also took away some of the parts that made Cutler at least good when he was good. So it, it balanced out, and to me, that's not a career year. That's just keep doing what Cutler does. So if it had kept up all the downfield success that he had with lower turnovers, then cool, give him that credit. But it does have to be alarming that they could watch how it all played out in Miami and then allow themselves to get swayed by saying, eh, it's just because of injuries and it's just because of players. And meanwhile, they fired their coach and kept their GM because they didn't think the coach did enough. It, it, it's, it, none of it really makes sense. And uh, maybe it does play more into Christopher, what Christopher Johnson said. Maybe he just didn't look into it enough. I don't know. But it's, it's, it's alarming, but again, like you said, and like we've been saying all along, it's gonna all that's going to matter is the wins and losses. If he can turn this around and get some wins and get a solid season, if he can't, then it's all going to be a, a, a nightmare, a disaster, and he's going to be gone from here within a couple of years. 
This is the Overtime Podcast Network. One of the funniest things that was said after the Gase hire was Travis Milton, who's one of Brian Bassett's co-hosts on one of our shows here on TOJ Digital. There's always next year. He said, what is with this organization's fascination with hiring dudes that work with Jay Cutler? Which is kind of funny because if you think about it, obviously they touted that with Jeremy Bates and now they're talking about it with Adam Gase. So it is kind of bizarre that Jay Cutler seems to be patient zero with all of this stuff. Not really sure what the deal is with that, but it is an odd coincidence. Last question, Chris. It comes in from Peter Dillard. He says, I just saw that Shane Ray signed with the Ravens. Do you know if the Jets had any interest? Would you have taken a chance on him? Still seem pretty thin at edge. Do you think the usurper was too busy usurping to check in on Shane Ray? (laughs) Certainly possible that he was too busy plotting his Game of Thrones level dethroning of Mike McCagnin to really make a play at Shane Ray. This all comes down to, I have no idea what Greg Williams thinks of Shane Ray. Maybe he didn't really think much of him. I do think that they are still a little thin at edge rusher. It really would have depended on the price, though. I think they can get by with what they have if they believe in Ja'Kai Polite. If you run Ja'Kai Polite and Jordan Jenkins out there, that's okay. You have Frankie Louvu, you have Brandon Copeland. Again, it's not murderer's row, but you could get by with it. I wouldn't have been necessarily against adding Shane Ray at the right price, but I definitely wouldn't have been interested in bidding a whole lot on him. And again, we have to make a point of saying that we have no idea whether or not Greg Williams liked Ray and thought he was a good fit for his defense. I meant to say it was before when he asked the the other question, but I'm going to say it now. Can we just take a moment to appreciate how great of a word usurper is? It really is. It's a great word, and I know I'm a writer and I have an affinity for words, so maybe everybody else doesn't find it as interesting as me. But it's a truly just great word obviously he he enjoys it you just said you know it's it's a phenomenal word i I don't we need to appreciate that word some more but i've never been a shane ray fan i wasn't a shane ray fan uh coming out of college anything to make me regret not being a shane ray fan i wouldn't have been against bringing him in on low cost just to you know another body there i don't think that they're going to you know, anyone's going to really regret not bringing him in, but you know, bringing some more guys there, sure, absolutely no, pro- I wouldn't have a problem with it. It's not like he's going to cost a lot of money, but I don't, I don't think anybody's going to be throughout the season really sitting here saying, "Hey, we really should have brought in Shane Ray." So, yeah, I agree. I wasn't a big fan of his coming out of college either, but. As far as getting a young guy with a little bit of upside in here for depth, again, I wouldn't have necessarily been against it if Greg Williams was in favor of it, but it would have depended on the price tag because I just don't think that spending a bunch of money, even on a one-year deal for a guy who's not going to make that much of a difference, would have been a good idea. You go back to Ziggy Ansah, who obviously has a much better resume than Shane Ray, and now we know about the whole injury thing, but I wouldn't have really been in favor of spending, say, 10 or $12 million on a one-year deal with him either because it's not a great fit. He's over 30, gets hurt a lot. And that's money that you could save for flexibility down the line because you never know what could pop up. So that's what you should keep in mind with Shane Ray. I haven't seen the price tag yet, but if it was anything more than very, very reasonable, I'm sure that's one reason that they weren't looking in his direction. Chris, that will wrap up. 
the mailbag, the mega, giant, huge, multi-part mailbag. This is what happens when this kind of news comes down. People have a ton of questions, and I'm glad that we were able to answer them. Thanks so much for joining me, as always. Chris, really appreciate it. For anybody that doesn't know where to follow you on social media and where to read your very big deal work, why don't you go ahead and let them know? Absolutely, no problem. Uh, Yeah, you can find our work at JetsInsider.com. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter at CNimbly and at Jets Insider. I should also mention, by the way, since we were talking about sausages, if you want the best Italian sausages, there's only one place to go. And that is Twitter legend Pauly Brzez's mom. Yeah, well, yeah Pauly's going to have to hook, hook, hook up a very big deal with that because I, I don't know anything about this. I've heard, I've heard some things, but... All I know is her cooking is legendary. I've yet to taste it, but everybody has said that she is the Bill Belichick of Italian home cooking. So I'm looking forward to getting a taste of what she brings to the table in the kitchen. Hopefully, Paulie will invite us over for a family dinner soon because let's be honest, we are kind of family, right? I mean, you're the very big deal, so you're family to everybody. And me, I'm his sometimes co-host of podcasts or something. I don't know. i got to come up with something here. Oh, listen, I, I grew up in North, North Jersey. There's one, one, one of the main things you learn growing up in North Jersey is there's two types of Italian mothers, Italian mothers who don't claim to be able to cook very well and Italian mothers who are exceptional cooks. And I have never come across an Italian mother who, who people talk about good cooking and them not being an excellent cook. If the Italian mother if this claims that this Italian mother can cook, I believe that Italian mother can cook. Let me tell you a little something about Italian mothers that can cook. They get offended if you don't eat until you're about to pass out. So. Yes, that's my, that's my <laughs> only problem. I have, I have run into that plenty of times in my life. I have definitely snuck food to the dogs under the table to try to <laughs> bail me out. I definitely have an array of tricks to use in that situation because they get very insulted. But to be fair, I'm, my grandma's not Italian, but she—that's how she always was. She would—we'd sit down and eat a huge meal, and then we'd be done with the meal, and she'd be trying to force more food down my throat, and she'd get upset if I didn't take it. So I, I had to learn these tricks at an early age. Gotta say, by the way, and this is pure coincidence, so I have to mention it because it's hilarious—the timing. But we just talked about the word usurper. My buddy yes. Neil just texted me, he goes, I just listened to your latest podcast, and I love that you're using the word usurper. It's the perfect word to describe what Adam Gase did. So I guess it's, we're it's not the only ones word. that like the word. <laughs> yes, it's a great word. We need to use that word more. We need to find ways to inject it into our everyday vocabulary, even though that's probably unrealistic because there's not a lot of usurping going on in everyday life, but it's a great word. Kudos to Peter Dillard for throwing that out there, and hopefully nobody tries to usurp you, Chris, and your power as a very big deal, because let me tell you, if they do, they're going to come up short, because nobody tops the very big deal, Chris Nimbley, who you can follow at CNimbley, and whose work you can read at JetsInsider.com, and for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcast, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital, and TurnOnTheJets.com.